Welcome to Gaia's Consciousness Podcast, expanding your mind and spirit. Learn even more at Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Your journey begins here. You have a very magical kind of life because you're tapped into these other realms of elementals, trolls and gnomes and dwarves. I'm a psychic. I can see things, predict things, but I also talk to the dead. Sometimes when people are hearing voices, they really are. I think elemental beings want to be perceived by us. They have things to say. Mm -hmm. They want to communicate with you and speak with you if you can get over your own doubt. One of the reasons why a lot of people don't have experiences is because we always have our face in a phone because we don't want to feel awkward, but we're actually missing out on this huge experience we could be having. We all watched with magical eyes as kids when we saw films like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves or Lord of the Rings. We wanted to know these special creatures. According to Sally Crow, we can, but we need to use new eyes. Welcome. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here and spend some time in this beautiful town and area. You have a very magical kind of life that you bring with you to Boulder because you're tapped into these other realms of elementals and What's interesting, though, is you're a very stable human being. You're a mom. You've been married for decades. You, I, I heard that you were um, head of the uh, school board or PTA or something. I was on a school board for you nine years. You were on a school board for nine years. I was on a years. regional school board as well. So yeah, I love it. And all the while, everyone knew you were a pagan that practiced white witchcraft, right? Yes. I love it. I love it. Yes. Where do you live? I live in Newark, Vermont, which is part of the Northeast Kingdom. So yeah. I live about 40 minutes from Canada. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to lay that out because you have managed to carve a place for yourself where people just accept you as you are. And this is a big thing for human beings. So many people have these interests and these capabilities and they're spending their lives hiding it from their family and friends. So you're a wonderful poster girl for not hiding who you are. So first of all, let's talk about your name, how you came about your name, Sally Crow, your sister is Sandy Crow. Let's talk about your family and how you came about coming into contact with these realms. Okay, so I am born into a family with spiritual gifts. My great-grandmother was my first teacher and her father was an Irish traveler and her mother was Blackfoot. So most of her teachings would now kind of fall into the category described as granny witching or um, Appalachian witchcraft. It's more like folk magic and very practical and down to earth. And my grandmother was a person that everybody called Graham and people came to see her regularly. So my sister and I were being taught about our gifts from the time that we were really little. My first real memories are about from the age of three or four. And so what did she start with? I mean, there has to be a mentoring process for a three-year-old, right? So in my case, my, I didn't realize this until later when I had a large spiritual opening of my own. My grandmother was told when my mother was pregnant with me that I was going to be a medium because I'm a psychic. I can see things that are unseen and predict things. and But I also talk to the dead. That's my primary job. Mm -hmm. So 
I was trained from a very young age. I call it the parlor arts. Like I was the one who sat at the table and played card games that were developing my, I thought she was letting me win because right. I was just really good at it. Um, and I got to sit in sometimes when people would come by because I was well-behaved and quiet. Um, and my sister was a little wilder than me. She was usually sent outside to find something in the lawn that she could eat. Okay. okay. So, And my sister's a magical herbalist, uh-huh. and she definitely is more into, like, we both work in the same field, but mine, as she would say, is more... Um, presentable at a kitchen table. Mm-hmm. What a magical upbringing. Lucky you. Yeah, very fortunate. I mean, because you, when you think about it, how many kids and how many human beings are carrying this within them, they just don't have anyone giving them permission or showing them the way. Right. And you had all of that. You had it laid out for you with no resistance, and that's fabulous. So at what age did you begin to notice that you were maybe seeing things or hearing things that other people didn't? I don't think I realized that other people didn't have those experiences mm-hmm. until I was much older. But I mm-hmm. do remember being in school when teachers would talk about imaginary friends. And I just assumed she was talking about other people, not me. Because uh-huh. in my house, if I saw something, my sister also saw it. Or my grandmother would say, right. what are you looking at? Because she saw it too. So there was... Um, I don't think I would, I think I was probably just about a teenager when I really started to realize that I had the ability to perceive things that other people couldn't. Mm-hmm. Until then, I just thought that this must be normal. Right. Let's, well, so tell us about your name. I, I mentioned that in the beginning, yours and your sister's names, because you've condensed it to a solo name, Sandy right. Crow. So they're more spiritual names mm-hmm. than they are anything else. And Crow is very sacred to the Blackfoot part of mm-hmm. our family is where that comes from. So I actually have another sister who, while she doesn't really follow the spiritual path, she also still has like Crow tattoos. And my father um, was one of his nicknames that we gave him was One-Eyed Richard the Crow because he lost his eye in Vietnam. So oh, yeah. he was also a Crow. So the Crow part is that. And... We're actually known that way, though, even though most... Kind of as the Crow family. The Crow sisters, my sister and I are. And for a while, people thought that my husband and I had gotten divorced. We could be standing next to each other and like, and we're like, no, I'm just... (laughs) Because they had to be like, well, why aren't you using this name? And I'm like, because his last name is a French name, which nobody could pronounce. So I just started using my spiritual name in my work. How do you pronounce his name? It's Tetro. So it's T-E-T-R-E-A-U-L-T. Oh, okay. But everybody's that, like... That could come out a lot of ways. It's not really a good business yeah, plan. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sally Crow works. Okay, let's talk about the elemental world mm-hmm. and all of the beings in the elemental world. We'll start with that and when you started communicating with them. And one thing you say is we have to let go of our perception of what they look like, sound like, personalities and all that, and allow it to be shown to us. Yes. I've always had the ability to perceive nature spirits. I didn't necessarily have a pursuit of it. Like the um, working with the dead came easier for me. And I describe it like shifting a dial, you know, like changing a channel that... Mm -hmm. When you have um, developed the ability in one area, it's really easy to then just kind of vibrationally shift into the other area to perceive that. 
Um, one of the things I tell people is that you really want to use a wide angle vision mm -hmm. when you're working in the outside world and take words like maybe, kind of, and think so out of your vocabulary. Because often people have experiences all the time. They'll be like, I thought I saw something. And I'm like, well, why don't you say the same thing, but take thought out of it. Right. And then they're like, I saw something. And they almost always can feel that that's the truth. So mm -hmm. the easiest thing I would tell people is learning to get out of your own way. And we spend so much of our time coming up with reasons why something isn't something. If we took even a fraction of that time to make something why it is something, mm -hmm. then we'd all be seeing these things. Absolutely. That is within all of us. And we, mm -hmm. I, I, there's probably rarely a human being that isn't seeing someone walk by out of the corner of their eye or something right. that's not physically present, but they, they could swear they just saw someone walking by. That's an example of it. And how do you expand out when you see things happening or something moving before you, but it looks really almost like a shadow of something. Mm -hmm. Talk about that, because that's common. It is common, and my explanation of it is that what I've learned, which I learned primarily most things. I actually had a major spiritual opening when I was 30 where I was being taught by um, spirits. We're going to talk. Yes. Well, go ahead and talk about that now, and then you can get okay. to what I the point I just want to talk about making. that to say, like, Do. I was taught a lot of ground rules then. Yes. I was taught a lot of ways to perceive. Um, it was a really tremendous experience. Tell us the whole, <laughs> tell us the whole thing okay. so we know what happened. So I have always had the ability to communicate with spirits, but it wasn't. I was working as a psychic reading cards and telling people about their life and their future, I was a Reiki master in six schools of Reiki. I'd done a lot of study already. And I would have spirits where I'd see them and I would have some in, you know, experience. And then I had this experience where it was so loud that, you know, if it was a different situation, I might have been taken to a hospital. Mm -hmm. I really describe it as being scrubbed with a Brillo pad and sprayed with a fire hose. Mm -hmm. Like everything in my life was turned inside out. And at the same time, my ability to perceive spirits went through the roof. Mm -hmm. It went from like 10 to 100 in a period of days. And this intense experience lasted for months. Um, interestingly enough, I was like begging for the volume to be turned down. Like literally like, please just, can I have a vacation? Could you turn the volume down? And... When they did, I found I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the lesson, too, was that I had to actually choose it on my own. So we're going to flood your gates and show you what you're capable of. And then we're going to back off a little bit. And you choose. And you choose. And I definitely chose that I wanted to go back into the deeper water. So what was the sound you were hearing? I was actually hearing voices very clearly. It mm -hmm. started with... Um, a spirit that his name is Adam, and he was my youngest sister's best friend, and I knew him through that. And my youngest sister and I aren't a lot alike, so there's an age difference. And um, the fact that I always loved him was kind of strange because I didn't know him that well. But when he died, he showed up at my house, and I was like, at first I thought it was like to communicate that he was okay to my sister. Mm -hmm. And then he started like telling me these. It really was a plan that we had had before birth, and because he was somebody that I could trust, I could get information to find out if I was accurate. Right. 
like a partner yes. in this. I was able mm-hmm. to call my sister. So if a spirit was somebody that was like my own loved one, I might have thought, well, I'm just imagining that because I want that. Mm-hmm. But because this was different, I was finally called my sister and I was like, look, I mean, he was telling me about conversations they had in a diner and these really random things. And she didn't hesitate at all to think that I was having it. Like she was like, no, that's true. That's true. So that was really helpful. That kept me above the water of feeling like I was crazy. Right. Um, But I definitely was having kundalini openings on a daily basis. I mean, my husband came home one day and all of our belongings were packed in the middle of our house because I was like, I don't need these earthly things anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So luckily I came back down, but my husband's also a very, very solid person who never once thought I was crazy, never once, like he knew I was going through something. Yes, he knew it was an an initiation of sorts. Yes. Okay, now back to my question. So after you became more discerning and more open, uh, tell, tell us as an average person that sees shadows and things running around. You might think you're seeing a little doggy running through or a person walking yep. by. Well, what are we seeing? Chances are you are seeing something. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens is people have, most people will say, I saw something out of the corner of my eye and I turned to look and it was gone. And the reason why is because you then looked through it. Spirit right. is perceived best, whether it is spirit of the dead, elemental mm-hmm. spirits. Soft if, focus. Soft focus because mm-hmm. I describe it kind of like those colored folders that people put their reports in that are clear. Mm -hmm. And we all exist in this clear folder and we can see very clearly. Some of us are colorblind, though, and we can't see into the red folder, the blue folder, the green folder. That's a good way to put it, though, because your piercing third dimensional vision is literally looking right through that other dimension that in soft focus can form itself. Yes. Yeah. So I tell people, like, if you do see something out of the corner of your eye, don't turn to look, just stay and allow yourself to perceive. Actually, I find that because I do live in a rural state, um, there are a lot of men and women who have hunted before. Mm -hmm. And that's an easy way for me to describe it too. Like if we are looking at an animal or a person with our forward facing predatorial eyes, they can see it. We can feel it if somebody's looking at us across the room. But if we don't want to know, have somebody know we're looking at them, our best bet is also to use our peripheral vision because then there's not that feeling that comes through Mm -hmm. it. So you can take that same skill that you might have used to look at the, you know, the person who you find interesting or, you know, hunting or any kind of way that you could use it and turn that into a way to perceive spirits better. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. Let's talk about, um, specific types of elementals. Okay. Um, Because right now, the world that we're living in, I think, is so complex and so draining for so many people that we're going more and more into fantasy. Yes. But that fantasy world is actually dipping into a reality elsewhere. So talk about that. Well, first of all, the reality elsewhere has always been there. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) We've I think that we've gone through times where we were more open to it mm-hmm. and times that we're more closed to it. We're coming back into a time that's more open to it. I also think that one of the things that's different about this time is I think elemental beings want to be perceived by us. Tell, we, tell us about that. We why? are living in a crisis point in our planet. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reason why you'd even form these relationships is to make some kind of change there, you know, like environmental responsibility, stewardship. 
Um, there's things that those beings can do for you, but a lot of it is learning how to be part of the natural now, world. Yeah, drawing our attention back to our beautiful host. Exactly. Yes. And so I feel like there really is a influx of experiences with people with nature spirits, even people who are like catching pictures on film. Right. And, you know, I say selfies that they're coming forward and doing. There's different types of beings, just like there's different elements. And I like to look at it that they have different realms. So just like we live in a physical realm and our beloved dead live in a different realm, you know, fire spirits live in a different realm than water spirits than earth spirits and air spirits. And the astral realm is kind of like where we perceive everything. All of us mm -hmm. have the ability to perceive there or to learn. They're probably easier than any other place. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and we were talking off camera and you said these realms don't necessarily do business with one another. And we'll talk right. about that in a little bit. Right. Some of them have preferences and, and would prefer to stay with their own kind. Yes. Right. So you say seclusion is also a, an important element in developing this connection with nature, mm -hmm. having some time alone. Yes. Let's talk about that for a moment, because that's another thing people are challenged by right now. Yeah. I think that the seclusion that we went through with um, the COVID. pandemic yes. really brought a lot of people into realizing that they needed nature as their healer. Mm -hmm. So there was Absolutely. definitely an influx of it during that time period. And I feel like we are becoming, I think we're going through a psychic evolution. I talk about that a lot. So I've been a psychic for many years and just watching the amount of people who are changing. And I think that when they spend time in nature, they're more likely to have that experience. They're more likely, you do have to be quiet. You have to still yourself. One mm. of the reasons why a lot of people don't have experiences is because we always have our face in a phone. Right. We always have, you know, we can't sit on a park bench by ourselves and experience nature without Right. Because we don't want to feel awkward, but we're actually missing out on this huge experience we could be having. So one of the groups of beings that you say you have a particularly strong relationship are the jinn, often known as genies, you know, mm -hmm. in the Western world, in the Eastern world known as jinn. And a lot of times when you read about jinn, you think, whoa, those, those beings are troublemakers. So let's talk about what jinn actually are, mm. how you would describe them and how you work with them. So first of all, I have had relationships with Jen. I have a very specific relationship with Jen, which is that I am very cautious in my relationship <laughs> with Jen. <laughs> well, every book I've read, it would indicate caution. Well, the big part is, is I don't Why? think that they're evil beings. Mm -hmm. I think that they are um, precise beings. So explain that a little more. So if you say, welcome to my home, Mm -hmm. You've just now told them that your home is their home. Oh, okay. All right. So, so be specific. Yeah. Like jinn are mentioned in the Quran a lot. Yes. Yeah. And as Middle Eastern readings. I was, yes. Yeah. And um, my daughter's good friends with a Pakistani woman. Yeah. And when my daughter was talking about jinn, she was like, oh my God, we don't talk about them. Yeah. And my daughter was like, okay. But it was really because of this, you, you really have to interact with them like you're interacting with a lawyer. Like if you're saying you're doing something, that's a signed contract. So in my interactions, when I have worked with them, I literally go in and I say, I start with in no shape, 
way or form am I entering into a agreement with you. Mm -hmm. I am telling you what I'm working on. And if this is something you want to work on, we can collaborate together. And I always do it in a sacred space setting. Are they ubiquitous? I mean, are, is gin everywhere, or just certain parts uh, of the world, certain types of lands, certain types of families? Definitely or certain types of lands are going to be more likely. And also families do count because we have a tendency to bring our otherworldly beings with us when we have settled areas. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, for example, Appalachian area is filled with Scotch-Irish right. magic, and it also has a lot of the same fairy lore. Okay. Yeah. You're going to experience gin more often living in a desert environment than you are my environment. My experience with a gin is a personal one that has been through lifetimes. So my area of living in a green forested area Mm -hmm. would not be someplace that they would choose to come. Okay. So what is your specific relationship? What do you do together? I don't really do that much with them. So I think that might be um, maybe I have worked with them. Yes, you I have. have worked with them when I need to. When they are very to. good at getting things done. Okay. That's a good way. Like they can be used in healing. Any kind of, a, of creature can be used, a creature, I hate to use that word, any kind of being can yes. be used in healing. Okay. Jinn have a tendency to inspire. So they're mm-hmm. really good for artists. They're really good for people who are very intellectual. They're really good for learning magic and dance. And um, I have actually met Sufis who have had bonded relationships with Jin in a form of like improving their artistic ability or their ability in entering dance or trance meditation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. through the whirling dervish. My experience has been more of a negotiator. Like I have worked with them in other lifetimes. And because of that, I've been able to help people when they've made poor choices in their communication with Jen. Kind of like going in as the representative, going like, let's clear some things up here. I'm a mediator. Between those realms. Okay. I consider myself a mediator in general. A lot of my work is being a bridge. Right. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Let's talk about a name that is ubiquitous, that everybody loves and admires, and that's Merlin. Yes. Let's talk about Merlin energy, and let's talk about caves for for a moment. So I love caves. I do, too. Um, So much happens. And I have been to Merlin's cave a couple of times in Tintagel, um, which is really powerful. I actually have a photograph from the last time I was there that I do a lot of vocal toning and sacred Mm -hmm. singing. And I was singing in Merlin's cave with a group of people on a pilgrimage, And I was standing there with my arms out like this. And Mm -hmm. this guy who was on the trip with me took a series of pictures where you could watch this purple light moving closer and closer to me. It finally was just in the middle of my chest. So Merlin energy, well, first of all, Merlin is probably an amalgam. Exactly. You know, of a lot of um, magical practitioners, druids. And that energy is very much, I would say, woven into Druidry, which is 
based on a view that nature is sacred and sentient. Mm-hmm. And people can be Druids without it being Christian or pagan. There can be whatever religion you want to bring into right. it. So I believe Merlin energy is that. It's that kind of like tapping into the understanding that everything is sentient. Everything works better through, I say everything works better through collaboration than force. Mm-hmm. Like I would rather work with you if you asked me to work with you than if you put me in some box and told me I had to work with you. Right. Okay. So let's talk about caves and expand into that a little bit more. So caves have always been used as places where we can go and enter deep into ourself, into our own personal cave. And well, they're closed in. They usually have pretty interesting acoustics one way or another. They hold shadows amazingly. And you're surrounded by the element of earth. So you're Mm -hmm. really grounded inside of a cave, which sounds strange that people can have such amazing spiritual experiences there. But oh, I, think, I do. I love the graves. Right. But I think the reason you can mm-hmm. is because it is so grounded. You also Very feel grounded. like you're, you know, when you said... You're in the yes, earth. Yes, you're in the earth. Right. And they're really good for releasing. They're good for any kind of deep dive into consciousness. Um, my sister and I have used a local cave in the White Mountains for healing with people this one has like this little opening on top of it and it's a small cave and we've had people in there while we were singing and drumming on top of it and just let the beings work with them um, inside of that space as well. We've, you know, had people go there for themselves for pilgrimage. Like you're going to go spend the night in this cave by yourself. And then this cave is is small. You're not going to be like, oh my God, there was something else living yeah, in here. Yeah. Um, I think that it allows us to connect with our personal, um, highest consciousness, you know? Well, it's blocking out all of the external artificial signals. You don't have any of that happening when you're in a cave. You're surrounded by mother earth. Yes. All natural signals, other natural beings are there Mm -hmm. with you. It's so beautiful. I'm, I'm with you. I highly encourage people to find a special little cave somewhere and visit it on a regular basis. Yes. If possible. Um, uh, three years ago now, um, with Gaia, we took a crew and went to Sardinia mm. and found this series of caves that a local woman told us about. It wasn't, it's not in any tour book. Cool. But it was a series of female initiation caves. Mm-hmm. There were four of them. You went, started as a young girl at one end and it went all the way through till you hit the final cave, which was the birthing cave. That is and awesome. And it was absolutely stunning in its energy. Freddie Silva was there with me and just... He couldn't get enough of the energy. We're like, yeah. get out. We want to try it. We're the females right. here. Get it. No, <laughs> get no out. boys. Go. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's, but it was amazing. It's definitely a place where, where you're talking about you can, because your senses are being shut down from the outside world, definitely mm-hmm. can go deeper into your ability to perceive. Um, I visited Iceland and I tell people that if you can't have a spiritual experience and see other beings in Iceland, you're not going to. Yeah. Because, and I think part of it is because there isn't a lot of living. I mean, there's moss and stuff, but there's not trees everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's horses and sheep, but there's not like a plethora of animals or people. It's just a blank slate. So when you're yeah. seeing something, it really stands out mm-hmm. to you. So it's pretty phenomenal in that way. And I think caves have that similar feel. They're also, mm-hmm. Iceland is also a big old chunk of rock. Right, exactly. Let's talk about rock and let's talk about 
earth elementals and the types of beings we're talking about, uh, trolls and gnomes and dwarves and so forth. And then I'm going to tell you a little story that happened just recently that might help others. All right. So I think that earth elementals are probably the most separated of all the elemental beings in what I've experienced in my own and by talking to, you know, and reading. And I think it's more that we can differentiate between them more because they are the most humanoid, mm-hmm. you know. And I put them in categories of the grumpy and the not grumpy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so gnomes, elves, those beings, hold the folk, which are, you know, we have a lot of, there's so many different kinds of beings that it's really hard because different terrains, different areas have their own. I'm still learning. There is like the language. So gnomes cover really the friendlier, more what we would see. They like to live in lush areas that are usually green or mossy or plush in some kind of way. They like the sweet things of life. Trolls fall into a different category that also have beings like giants. Mm -hmm. And they don't like contact from the human world very much. And so one of the easy ways, like if you're sensitive to feeling when you're stepping into a thin space, an easy way to determine whether it is more of a gnome-type space with the elves and the hulda folk and the gnomes, or whether it's more of a troll-type space is, what does the area look like? If it looks kind of pretty and enchanting... That's probably gnomes. If there's like... If it's rocky and foreboding. Debris. No, (laughs) trolls will also use things like they'll put... There'll be spider webs growing over the entrances to their caves. They'll be like Uninviting. Yes, it's uninviting. Yeah. And some people will actually find that if they're sensitive that when they go to enter a place like that, they actually feel fear. Mm It's not that there's really something horrible there. But they're being told they're not welcome. Mm-hmm. This is casting off some bad vibes. So the story I was going to share, because it happened recently, is um, I, I love gnomes, right? Now gnomes are everywhere. I mean, you go in any shop, any store, you're going to find a gnome something, which is interesting in and of itself that it's taken on in the mm-hmm. mass psyche. But I have loved them for a while, and so I, I have them around at Christmas time, little knitted ones and things. And I kept one out and started playing with it just for Instagram, right? And I would assign, Harry said this about this, and I thought, it's kind of interesting because it's not the way my mind normally works. And it didn't occur to me till very recently that the things that I was coming up with, because I I also speak with people who have deceased Mm -hmm. and so forth, that I was actually listening to someone from that realm. Mm -hmm. And that my little stuffed Harry, the little gnome, was a surrogate because I don't see them. Mm -hmm. I don't see, some people see a whole being in full regalia, dressed Mm -hmm. up, standing right in front of them. I don't see that way. I see with my eyes closed, then they'll come into view. And so I want to interface more with the elemental kingdom, not just, you know, deceased people and my guides, but I just wanted to know what it felt like. It occurred to me that's what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, let me just talk to him now through Harry and just say, because I had this deep love also for this being. And I understood him and I found him funny. And I thought, wow, this is turning into some kind of aspect of self that's strange. Right. <laughs> in an alter self. So he started telling me, no, we're here. And mm-hmm. uh, we love living on your land because it's, it has a lot of granite. And we love the piezoelectric energy here. 
but they told me something else I wanted to share with you. And we went on about that, and I looked it up. Sure enough, granted, it has a lot of piezoelectric mm -hmm. energy, and they said it was very enlivening for them. But they also said, we'll be with you when you go to Ireland as well, because the human species has been through so much tragedy and cataclysm and loss of memory. We've been alongside you all along. Mm -hmm. And what we'll do with you when you're there is you can, I can see into things and read what's happened in the past on a piece of land to an extent. Right. They said, we can fill in gaps for you because where human memory has been lost, we have a continuous memory alongside you that we can share in those gaps with you. Right. Does that make sense? It does. And I also have been informed multiple times that they travel ley lines very easily. Yes. So, you know, when you're saying like, well, how did they get here? You know, because like as a child, you might be like, okay, so these came over with our ancestors. So did they ride on the boat with them? And it's like, no, it's more like a calling, you know, like, and that the hot ley lines are really like energetic highways. We can use them ourselves mm -hmm. to astrally project easier. Like mm -hmm. if we're saying like, I want to focus. It's easier if you've been to a place. So if this being has already been mm -hmm. in Ireland, mm -hmm. then it has like, it's kind of like the destination is already in the map quest. Do you know right. what I mean? Right, right. Um, so it does make sense. And they said there'll be beings there that will be chatting with you as well. Yes. And that what struck me though was the amazing companionship of having unbroken memory where ours has been broken, where there have been right. massive periods of time of destruction. I have a spirit that I refer to as Thomas, who is mm -hmm. more of a, I would refer to him as like an elven being. He's mm -hmm. more slender and tall. And when he had been part of my life for many years where I was just seeing him, like, because they have the ability to turn two-dimensional. Mm -hmm. So that's why sometimes we will, if we're looking for them, they'll disappear too. Because like, you know, I started having these games where they would like, run across the field and I'd be like, what? And then they disappear. Well, I started realizing that all they had to do was like kind of like shift, yeah, shift. and then I'm out Absolutely. of here. Absolutely. And when Thomas finally introduced himself to me, one of the things he said was that he had worked with my family for generations yes. and that he had worked with, um, so he, I call him Thomas, that's not his real name, but it's my Irish traveler family name was Thomas. And that was the family that he, like my great grandmother's family, her father, you know, both my great grandmother's father and mother had gifts. So while I have other, you know, I'm mostly Irish, but it's, right. that's my line I call my line because yeah. that's where my spiritual gifts yeah. came through. Um, but that is a way that they do attach to family lines. They will, you know, sometimes be dormant because they're waiting for somebody that's sensitive enough to be able to perceive them. Right. Well, I'm, I was so happy to understand that it was a larger story than my imagination right. and my stuffed little gnome. Absolutely. And the friend I'm traveling with is also very psychic. Nice. So she, we both tune in and we can journey together. And to now bring the world of elementals with us, we're really excited. And also as be to what we'll, still, like we talked still, about in the beginning, because yeah. like I had an experience with the Hulda folk in Iceland. I had gone there purposely to do spiritual work and... There is a city just outside Reykjavik called Hypnifjordr that is, there's an elf garden there. Mm. You can get maps of different places and around the city where elemental beings have temples. And I was staying on um, Tingvallavatn, which is a glacial lake that comes off of Tingvalar, the Great Rift. And the people who had it 
their grandparents had been spiritualists. So it was one of the only places that actually had a small clumping of trees, like a grove. Uh-huh. And they had a fairy mound that they uh-huh. had built. So I went and I laid in it. And I, one day, and I mean, it's like 50 degrees in August, but I'm out there I'm laying. And one of the Hulda folk, where they look like they're like four-year-old children, mm-hmm. came over and was just looking down at me, checking me out. Because sometimes that's all it is. It's yeah. just an introduction. It's like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? So, yeah, yeah, we can definitely, it's in that stillness. Because I was just like, I'm just going to go lay here and see what happens when I do. And sometimes we get the best things. Those must be the ones depicted in the books, um, Fairyopolis. Probably. uh, Because they look like children. They do. They're very, um, they look like three, four-year-old children. Right, exactly. Oh, I I love that book. I've given it to so many people. Fairyopolis. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard of that one, so I'll have to check it out. Oh, you have to check it out. You can buy it on Amazon. Okay. Very nicely illustrated from many decades ago, but it has little pop-outs and things from the fairies and letters. It's Mm. the most enchanting book for children and enchanted adults I have ever encountered. Nice. So that Sounds like it might be a little more accurate, too, because, you know, we have a lot of, like, the movie stylized version of elemental beings and that's no, this not is really this was written yeah. quite a long time ago in Eng- from oh, nice. a garden in england um okay so one of the things you write about it you say glamour is one of the easiest forms of magic let's talk about glamour okay glamour is placing your intention where you want it to be that's the simplest way of describing it so we you use glamour you put on a different face as soon as you get in front of the camera. When it comes on, some part of your energy, whether you're feeling good or not, knows that you have to present yourself in a certain way and you project yeah, that. Yeah, it's unconscious. It just, I've done exactly. it my whole life. Yeah. Actors, mm-hmm. politicians, we they use it all the time. Right. We can consciously learn to use that, you know, and we can use it through triggers because glamour isn't always just about looking good. Sometimes it's about hiding. Sometimes it's about looking bigger than you are because you feel threatened. I once used glamour to become invisible, which is very difficult for me because I have a very big personality. Right. So I was standing on the edge of the road and I live in a very rural town. I was picking blueberries and there was like a mist Um, and there's a lot of bicyclists where I live. So there was a couple of bicyclists coming down the road and I was like, I'm going to stand right on the edge of the road and they're not even going to see me. And I used wide angle vision and I stood there and with glamour, I put my concentration on becoming one with the dew or with the, yes. like, so that it was yes. reflecting off of me. Right. And I could have reached out my hand and pushed yes. them over when they went by and they didn't even notice that I was standing there. You know, so, so that's, that's called a glamour, casting that's a, glamour. a glamour. I do that when exactly. I want to be invisible and people will bump into me. Right. And I, not for any reason. It's just that I don't feel extroverted on any level. Exactly. And you I need just to want be to be in, in my space. own little space and people don't see me. I've taught classes for years in aura manipulation. Yeah. So teaching people using dowsing rods yeah. of like, okay, first we're going to walk up with a dowsing rod. We're going to see where your aura resting is. And then I'm going to tell you that I want you to think about being small. And maybe that means that you're going to imagine that you're inside of a little tiny box. Mm-hmm. And then when I walk up with a dowsing rod, chances are I can get right up on top of you. Interesting. And what I actually teach them too, is that if you really are afraid, that is absolutely not what you want to do. Right. Because you're allowing somebody to get that close to you before you feel them. Mm-hmm. My dad was a Marine. So I have a lot of practical use of psychic abilities too, because he did like recon work. So like I understand being able to feel somebody before they're coming in. 
I also have, I've owned a bar before, so I've the only time I ever had to break oh up boy, a fight. Oh boy, talk about entities. Yeah, exactly. And the only, but I used Glamour then because yeah. like we never had fights because it was like a college bar that had bands. Yeah. And we had um, one fight happen and I just like went over and I used my voice, but I also expanded my aura mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I mean, I'm not that big of a woman and having like one of the guys who is a regular who didn't start the fight, he was like, I was afraid you were going to punch me. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, yeah. And that scared you? Like, that was well, an interesting thing. Like, yeah. I had become larger than life, and it made it... Your energy had. Yes, yes, exactly. And we're all doing that unconsciously all the time for whatever the necessary moment is, you know, to yes. do that. So that's within our just... A sh- that's almost a shift in how we choose to project ourselves. Right. Or how we choose to contract. I think that water is the easiest element to work with it for that because water is reflective, so it already gives off like illusion really easily and water is not just in an actual you know glass of water it's also if somebody wears glasses or any reflective surfaces because like mirrors Mm -hmm. are jewelry like in my book I talk a lot about how we can do protective work or we can do glamour work and focus it like on a particular thing. Like I've had people focus on their glasses when they want to be more confident or when they want to, you know, like maybe attract a partner. Okay, well, you don't wear jewelry all the time, but you wear your glasses every day. So let's do some work around what you want to reflect out of those glasses when somebody sees you. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, um, a moment ago, what struck me in what you were saying is that it's not really magical how we work with these beings. It is by our intention, mm-hmm. by our desire, and by our request. And so whether we know the being's name, whether we know what type of entity, I think it's almost an assumption that we're surrounded by all kinds, yes. collectives of entities all the time, and humans can ask for help. Yes, we're on a very layered planet. Very layered <laughs> planet. And so we don't we don't have to have magical abilities to be able to call upon these various beings. I think the word magic is misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I think magic is science that hasn't yet been explained. Because mm-hmm. when I was younger, telling people I did psychic readings seemed magical. Now right. it's when even trying, like if you look in a book, technically talking to dead people and looking into somebody's future or past yeah. is magic. But we've also gotten to a point where science can say, we know something is happening. Right. We know something is happening. And this is one of the stories I love to tell that is an example of how science has come. One of my friends taught abnormal psychology for years, and he used me as an example because he would say, sometimes when people are hearing voices, they really are mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. But there was a time period where somebody would have thought that that was magic. So I think that that's the part that we have to I agree with that. rearrange. And, that mm-hmm. magic is science that hasn't yet been proven. It has a cause and effect, there is something that happens. It's phenomena that simply exists. You can use it or not use it. Right. And I think this is a good point you talk about in talking to the deceased. One thing that is so, I think, accessible and easy about talking to the deceased is that they have things to say. Mm -hmm. They want to communicate with you and speak with you. If you can get over your own doubt in yourself about what's being told. And if you've done it enough times, the wonderful thing is you can keep practicing, you get validation, and over time you realize, ah, 
I actually heard them correctly because that fact was right. validated by a third party, for example. Right. And this is one way to get our sea legs, just like with myself and my little gnome through my little surrogate right. Harry. Is so anything we're coming toward the end of our time, mm -hmm. anything you want to impart on that journey for people, where do they begin getting their sense of confidence and validation that they are communicating? Recording things. I tell people a lot, especially through the book, I talk about a book of shadows. And a book of shadows is different from a journal because you're not writing in it like a diary. You're writing in it more like a college notebook where you're writing down structural things that you've had for experiences. You're leaving space to go back and reflect on it. Because when I meet with people and they're like, sometimes I know things. I'm like, really? How often? And they're like, I don't know. I was like, give me some examples. And they're like, I don't know. I was like, if you started recording it, you'd start seeing how often, often it's happening. It's Good happening. Yes. And you'd be able to go off of that. I love it. Uh, we didn't talk about undines, the yes. water elementals. Really quickly, we all take showers. We all take baths. We all love water. Most everybody loves water. Anything special that we need to know in interacting with an undine? I personally love water. I tell people, collect water from springs, from lakes. Take just a little bit of it. Add it to your bath water. Because uh -huh. water shares its information with yes. each other. So you might say the water coming out of your tap has run through straight pipes, which doesn't make it as like structured, if you will. But once we can take something like water from a sacred well, water from a lake, mm -hmm. a river, we open up an opportunity for us to be able to communicate with those beings in the safety of our own home instead of feeling weird about it sitting on the side yeah. of a lake or Excellent in a dangerous idea. area. Excellent idea. Thank you so much, Sally Crow. And uh, thank you for being so normal and grounded and magical at the same time. <laughs> Gives people a sense of safety with it all. Yes. Appreciate it. To learn more about Sally Crow and her books, you can go to sallycrow.com. You can also order her book, The Path of Elemental Witchcraft, through major booksellers. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Consciousness Podcast. Learn even more at Gaia.com and watch interviews, movies, and original series, all to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Gaia. Watch. Belong. Transform.